Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Kings chapter 17. First Kings seventeen. I've been on a few thrilling rides in my lifetime. I remember as a kid, a little kid, getting on one of these and thinking, I can't get off of this fast enough. Uh, it was way too thrilling for me. I remember going to the Seattle Center when I was in sixth grade, and I was a school patrol. And uh, they used to give the school patrol a free day at the Seattle Amusement Park there, which I think is gone or in the process of being dismantled. And what a thrill to ride all those rides. And I was riding one of them, going around in circles. And, and I looked down, and somebody had lost their lunch right there as we went around. And... <laughs> And I commented on the, to the fellow next to me, and he said, yeah, it was me, you know. That, whoa, that's a thrill. I remember the first time I was pulled over by a cop. That was a thrill. Hadn't been driving that long, and I didn't know you couldn't turn a U-turn right in the middle of the street with a double yellow line. I remember riding on a fire truck. Uh... Actually, my first ride in an emergency vehicle was a four-wheel drive Suburban, and it was a thrill for multiple reasons that I will not tell you about. I rode in a helicopter once with the door open right beside me and a quick-release seatbelt. They call them combat seatbelts. You just go bloop like that, and the thing pops open, and you're out to do warfare. I was just trying to make sure I didn't fall out at 1,000 feet, and I kept hugging onto that thing. You've had some thrill rides in your life. Maybe you've been to the carnival, uh, teaching your kids to drive. That's a thrill. Learning to drive. The first time you get in the car and drive by yourself. Great rides. We've all had some thrilling rides. We've gone to Disneyland. We've driven away from our wedding, whatever it might be that's a thrilling thing. Great rides and memorable but temporary and not available to everyone and generally without any long-term significance but there is a thrill ride that produces long-term joy and is available to everyone and has eternal significance and I want to tell you about that thrill ride today please follow as I read from 1 Kings 17 and Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab the king as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word then the word of the Lord came to him saying get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan and it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now we could just talk about Elijah this morning, and the thrill ride that he was on. But I want to focus on another character that came into Elijah's life, and it's in the next section of the scripture. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Arise, 
go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please, bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called, her, he called to her and said, Please, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, and we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. I want to talk to you about ministry today and the thrill of ministry. And I want you to understand that, first of all, ministry begins with a personal opportunity to meet a need. Now, in the beginning of this passage, the Lord said, I have commanded this widow to do something. But as you read the rest of the passage, you realize God hadn't spoken to the widow directly. It would be perhaps more accurate to our thinking to say God had prepared a widow for this opportunity. There was a circumstance prepared, but he didn't tell her what was going to happen. And then as Elijah comes to her, note that Elijah doesn't demand anything. Elijah said, please give me some water, please give me some bread. And then he does say, here's the promise from God, but it's a request. He doesn't say, you, you owe this to me. Now, we could go in the Old Testament and we could search through the scripture and find out that the people of God were commanded to give, as we use the King James word, the tithe, which is an Old English word for 10%. But if you were really to look at all of the Old Testament scripture, you'd understand that what they were commanded to give added up to about 26%. Because their giving not only supported what we would call the work of the Lord, but it supported their, their whole community, their whole uh, structure as a government, if you will. And so, yes, we could say this woman was under command as a child of Israel to give. But that's not the factor here. He doesn't come along and say, you owe the tithe to God. He comes along and says, will you please give me something to eat? In the New Testament, God has given us instruction about the dedication of our life and our possessions to him. And this is perhaps one of the classic ones when he says, I beseech you or I beg you, therefore, by the mercies of God. And really what that little phrase encapsulates is chapters 1 through 11 of Romans. You know, Romans 1 through 3 talks about sin. 4, 5, and 6 talks about salvation. 7 and 8 talks about the Christian life. 9, 10, and 11 talks about how God has turned to the Gentiles from the people of Israel, and so we're here saved today. And so he sums all of that up in this one phrase by saying, God has been merciful to you. 
Here you are, a Christian and a Gentile, not one of the chosen people of God. God has been merciful to you. What should you do? You should present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove or demonstrate what the good and acceptable and perfect will of God is. And then skipping down in that passage, he says, so you have a gift from God according to what he has given you, so then use it. God has given us an instruction about doing ministry, and this is the broad instruction. You've been saved for all of eternity. Now use your life, your goods, everything that you have. Use it for me as God has given it to you. God doesn't ask us for 10%. He asks for 100%. Yeah, he wants us to give some of our money, our time, our belongings to the church, to the, to the work in Grandview, to the work in China, to wherever it might be. But he asks us to use all of our life for him. He doesn't give us an instruction like this. He doesn't say, now... Dave, give this exact amount to this exact ministry. He doesn't say, uh, Sue, devote this exact amount of your time here and here and here. He doesn't say to all of you, I want you to give exactly 3.5 hours to the parking lot ministry tomorrow. Now what he does do is he brings us invitations to meet ministry needs. I realize that my ministry is, is different in the sense that I, my whole day is given to the Lord because you pay my salary and I can do that. And so I get invitations perhaps that you wouldn't get. Uh, this week, one of those invitations to ministry showed up as, uh, or, uh, as a guest at my table at McDonald's. Somebody came in and said, I'm looking for you. Thankfully, they weren't wearing a badge and a gun. That's good. Well, actually, that might be good, too. But, uh, or Excuse me, that was two weeks ago. This week, I walked to give my newspaper to the person that I give it to, and his soul came open. That's never happened before. Okay, That's an invitation to ministry. Um, I walk around places, people who might know me, stop me, talk to me. That's, that's an invitation to ministry for me. Certainly it comes on the telephone here, comes in the email, comes all kinds of ways. Your invitations may be different than mine, but you get invitations to serve God in various ways. Um, and, and certainly the church is part of that. The reason that, that we wave that envelope every week and say, we're taking an offering for our missionaries, is an invitation from God for you to participate in the work of the Lord around the world. Okay? I don't know how God's going to burden your heart, what you can put in, what you should put in. I don't know. That's not my job. My job is to say, hey, there's a great work going on out here. And that's an invitation to ministry. There's an invitation to ministry. When Kim and Trudy get up and say, we're doing this parking lot thing, come on and volunteer and bring your candy so pastor will have to shave his head, you know, and so on. But that's an invitation to ministry. Nobody is handcuffing you to something. But there's an invitation. Um, you know, last week... After hearing about God's work around the world, perhaps last week and other weeks, somebody came to me and said, I'm going to have a period of time coming available 
in which I could go somewhere and serve the Lord, and I'm wide open to whatever the Lord wants from me. Wow. I don't remember giving that invitation last week. But the Lord did. A few weeks ago, we gave an invitation to serve the Lord by rebuilding part of the church at Grandview. And several men said, I'll help. And they've been helping and working on it. The project's going along. God is going to give you invitations to do ministry in all kinds of ways. It may be personal. It may be corporate in the church. It may be in your neighborhood, your school, wherever it is. There's going to be an invitation. He's going to send it to you. You're going to sense it. It's specific in the sense that it's for you. It's personal. And that's when the thrill ride begins. It's like God is the guy right there at the gate of the octopus saying, Would you like to get on? And it's there where you have to make a choice. And that is, will I get on the ride or will I say, no, that's much too scary. And the reason ministry is scary is because ministry requires sacrifice. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. And this lady is a prime example of that. We don't know her name, so we just call her the widow of Zarephath. That's the town she lived in. Um, Look at verse 11, please. As she was going to get a drink for Elijah, he said to her, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, As the Lord your God lives, I, I do not have bread, only a handful, a handful of flour, and a little oil in a jar, and I'm going to, I've gathered some sticks, I'm going to make a biscuit, I'm going to cook it, and we're going to die. That's pretty brutal. She's at the door of the ride, and God's saying, want to get on? Her invitation came through the mouth of a prophet. Okay? But she did not know what the future held, except that if she would accept his invitation, there would be sacrifice. There is no ministry that we can do for God that doesn't cost us something. Let's just start with something simple like having a prayer time. Missionaries come through and they say, will you pray for us? If you're going to be a person who prays for missionaries, you're going to have to set aside some time, which means the time will come away from something else and be devoted for prayer. If you're going to participate in the parking lot ministry tomorrow night, you'll have to give up Monday night football, or else you'll have to hit the DVR and watch the Monday night football later and hope that nobody tells you what happened, what the outcome was, until you get home. Now, that's a pretty small sacrifice. But sometimes it's a big enough sacrifice to keep us from doing the Lord's work. If you're going to write the check to the Lord's work, according to God's burden, first, before you pay the bills, that's what 1 Corinthians 16 seems to tell us, set something aside as God has blessed you every week, then something else is going to have to give in your spending pattern. If you're going to do like the people at Corinth were challenged to do, to give like other Christians had given sacrificially, that's that's going to take away from something else. If you're going to be effective in doing ministry, you're going to have to get educated. You heard Grace right here saying, you know, I, I think the gospel is so simple, people can't understand it. I guess I'm going to have to study more about the Catholic religion so I can share with them better. That's a sacrifice. There has to be education. There's got to be reading. It doesn't mean formal education. 
but it means you're going to have to work at doing the ministry. Ministry doesn't happen just out of your back pocket. Boom, it takes great effort. Then that's a sacrifice. The time that you spend studying and preparing could be spent on a hobby or something else. But if you're going to really be prepared for ministry, there's a sacrifice to be made. If God calls you to some place far away from here, you're going to have to sacrifice the closeness of family and friends. You may have to sacrifice something like like Bonnie Jones, who was here last week when they first went to Beijing. She got smog-induced asthma. Okay? She didn't even know there was such an illness, neither did I. I mean, she knows when she goes to Beijing, it's going to have a negative impact on her health. That's a sacrifice. There's all kinds of sacrifices asked of us to God connected with the ministry that he calls us to. But there's a great principle about that 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 I think is encapsulated in a little episode from the life of David. Now, David came to a point where he had sinned by doing a census of the people. God specifically said, don't do that, and he did it. God caused a plague to come. And, and so in the process of David confessing his sin, he comes to this little moment. And David said to Ornan, who was a man who owned this particular little spot, give me this place of the threshing floor so that I can build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me at the full price that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. And Ornan said to David, now David's the king, right, back in the day, and he says, hey, take it. Take it to yourself and let my lord the king do what's good in his eyes. Look, I'll give you oxen for the burnt offerings and I'll give you their threshing implements for wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I'll give it all. What does David say? No. I will buy it from, uh, from you for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. Ornan was more than happy to do his part as a citizen of Israel. And David said, I can't give the Lord something that didn't cost me anything. The question that I want to challenge you with is this. Why do we tend to give to the Lord only what we can easily afford? You know, uh, at the end of paying our bills and living our life, we come to church and we look at what's in the wallet or what's in the checkbook and we give. It's what's there, whatever. Or somebody says, can you do this ministry? And you look at it and go, that's going to be hard. And so you say, no. If somebody comes along and says, hey, here's something that's easy, you go, yeah, that's easy, I'll do that. That's like David. David said, no, no, I won't give something to the Lord that cost me nothing. Now, I understand that uh, after you serve the Lord for a long time and you really get in the habit of serving the Lord, you may come to a point where you think, well, th this really isn't that expensive to me. And that's a wonderful, mature place to come to. But in my experience, in those people, what God is going to ask is something a little bigger, a little bigger. <laughs> He's going to keep taking you on because he wants you to become a wonderful, mature, large Christian. We had 92 kids in Awana last Wednesday. Yeah. 
If you add the number of workers that are here, we're getting up close to Sunday morning attendance numbers. Okay? Now, if somebody were to stand up here today and say, we need help in Awana, we'd say, oh, buddy, children's ministry, not for me. You know, there may be a sacrifice there. Or would you say, okay, that's God's invitation. We've had a great offering for the missions conference thus far. It's been, it's been a blessing to see. But I would just ask you, have you given what you could afford or have you made a sacrifice? Do you have time for ministry? Do you have effort for ministry? Will you make room in your heart to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Or will you say, that's too hard, I cannot do it. Yes, the Lord is called, but I cannot take that invitation. Ministry is costly. Did the widow of Zarephath have the capacity to feed Elijah? No. God literally asked her to give everything and to risk her life. Unbelievable. And yet God asks us to do the same thing. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The widow's story represents a very tangible, concrete example of God asking her to lay down her life, to risk dying hungry in order to serve God. But remember now, she didn't hear God's voice. Her invitation came through a man. So the question is, would we have responded like she did? That's a big question, isn't it? I want to challenge you to come to a point where the response would be yes, not because you understand what the future holds, but because you know who holds the future. You see, ministry results in miraculous blessing. Miraculous blessing. Look at, look at the, some more of this story. Verse 13. Elijah said to her, Do not fear. When God invites you and you see the sacrifice, the immature response, or maybe the normal response, is fear. I, I'm scared. I can't do it. I'm, I'm fearful of what the future will hold if I do what God has asked. Don't fear. Go and do. Make me a small cake. Bring it. Make a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor the jar of oil run dry. Give it to me first, and then take it for yourself, because God says the supply won't run dry. 
God asks us to sacrifice, but he promises to care for us when we do sacrifice. This is a, an incredible passage of Scripture, perhaps the only time in the Scripture when God actually says, put me to the test. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and test me. Try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now I know this is talking about giving and my intention today is not to focus on giving. But I believe the principle here is broader than just giving. I believe the principle goes with everything we have and using everything we have to God. Because this isn't the only place that God says a promise like this. Here's one in Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You know what God's plan of financial security is? It begins with giving. Do you want to have time enough for your family to connect with each other? Then give some of your time to the Lord's work. Do you want to have personal strength and enrichment? Then give your time to the Lord because God says, Honor the Lord and he will fill your barns with plenty. Now, I'm not preaching today like those guys on TV. You give me a dollar and God will give you ten. I guarantee it. That's baloney. That is not in the Bible. But this is in the Bible. And God clearly says that we cannot outgive him, that he is going to take care of us. Look at it this way from Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What is all these things? Well, read Matthew 6 when you go home today. It's food and clothing and concerns about the future. He says, put me first, and all these things will be added to you. You aim your life at God and his kingdom. That's his work, the church. And God will meet your needs. This is the greatest instruction of all along this line. It's in 2 Corinthians 9. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. I had a guy take me to lunch once. And he said, when we got up to pay, I mean, he didn't, we made a lunch appointment. Let's put it that way. We got up to pay. I got my wallet out. He said, no, no, I'll take care of it. I said, well, that's really nice. He said, I'm not doing it for you. He said, the Lord said it's better to give than to receive, and so I'm going to give <laughs> and hope that the Lord blesses me. <laughs> he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Do you understand right there, God's not saying, I'm not going to put an exact, an exact number. I'm not going to put the screws to you with some legalistic standard. He's saying, look in your heart and prayerfully say, what should I give? What should I do? How should I give my time, my effort, all of that? Give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. This is an exact parallel of the widow of Zarephath. God said to her through Elijah, give it to me and then eat yourself. You may have grace for every good work. 
And then the next day she went back and made some food for Elijah and food for herself. God said, I will make sure you can keep doing good works if you will support my work with your life. The thrill of ministry... The thrill of ministry begins when God asks for sacrifice and when we, by faith, respond, giving our time and possessions, trusting God for our needs both now and in the future. I could give you all kinds of illustrations for that. I've heard my parents tell stories about how God's provided for them. I could give you my own stories. I could tell you stories from folks Uh, all kinds of stories. But let me tell you one that's a little bit different about how God came through. We had a fellow come to our church in Tukwila. I'll call him Jack. And Jack had wasted his life. He was 35 years old. He'd finally gotten dry and clean and sober. And he got saved in that process. And God brought him to our church and he got discipled and uh, got baptized and got busy for the Lord. And we hired him as a a part-time janitor. And he's just serving the Lord, going to school, learning a trade for the first time in his life, and, and just enjoying life. And You know, he kind of got all that stuff squared away, and he said, boy, I'd like to get married. And uh, our church at that time probably had 70 people in it. Probably not a lot of eligible 35-year-olds rattling around. And... Uh, and I didn't know, some of, I learned some of this in retrospect. He didn't come and talk to me about it at the time, but, but later he did. And he said, you know, so I thought, you know, there's some big churches with some big singles groups. So I went out and joined their volleyball league and kind of tried to participate there. But the Lord just said, you know what, you belong right here in this church. Don't be going anywhere else. So I just said, I'm just going to come and I'm just going to serve the Lord here and just let the Lord take care of it. And pretty soon, the Lord brought along a 35-year-old widow. And her whole story is another story, but uh, different from his, brought her to our church. And the two of them met and eventually got married and had kids. And he got a career and she had a career already. And they moved off and Lord bless them. I could tell you story after story that way from people in that church of how God brought, I mean, one of the greatest needs of life that people feel like they have And people said, no, this is where I belong serving the Lord. And the Lord said, if you'll put me first, I'll take care of this big need in your life. The thrill ride of ministry begins with a call to ministry, which always involves sacrifice. Don't be afraid to sacrifice, because this promise is in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He who calls you is faithful who also will do it. The only thing you need to figure out is what has God called me to? If God calls you to teach Sunday school and you take that invitation, and maybe you do it with fear and trembling and you get in there and, yeah, it's kind of tough, but you say, this is what God wants me to do. God is able to come in on the backside and help you with the class and maybe help you with other things because you're devoting your time to preparing for it. Or maybe you're, you, you get your paycheck and you say, oh boy, should I give first or last? And wow, well, I'm just going to trust the Lord. You know, the Lord can keep your washing machine from breaking. Do you ever think about that? We think about the Lord dropping money in our checking account like 
you know, flittering down out of heaven and zoom, there's a big balance. But there's all kinds of things God could keep from happening. He could make you slow down so you don't get that $150 ticket. He could make your computer keep running so you don't have to pay that exorbitant fee to the nerd squad. I mean, seriously, who's in control of the universe, you or God? Who's in control of the circumstances of your life? The problem is we don't want to let go. We want to be in control, even if it brings our own hurt. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. What did it cost the widow of Zarephath to obey the Lord? It cost her everything and nothing. <laughs> Do you think about that? I mean, what did she get for her sacrifice? She got a guaranteed grocery supply. Well, now, essentially, Elijah told her that. But what would you do if somebody's told that to you? You got just enough for one food, and, and the prophet says, you give it to me first, and the Lord will provide all your days. And you're thinking, right. And right after I feed you, you're going to go, gotcha. See, there's a faith issue there. She had to decide whether she was going to trust God or not. We have a sure word. We have a Holy Spirit who moves in us. Now, we have to be careful. I understand but let's ask this question. What if she had said no? Then I expect she would have ate her last meal and died. Hungry, eventually. And God would have brought somebody else along like he brought the ravens to feed Elijah. And God would have made sure his prophet was fed. But what would she have lost? The blessing. I mean, how cool was it for her? To get up in the morning, day two. By golly, there it is. Him first or me? Mm. You know, she had a test every day, didn't she? But I'm guessing that after day five or ten, or we don't even know how long he was there. It was some period of time. There was some morning when she got up and went, can't wait to see this. She might have even told her neighbors, do you know what? I, I use everything I have, and when I go back there, there's some more. Can you believe that? That is the thrill ride of ministry. She lived out this verse. She denied herself. She took up her cross. Do you understand? Take up your cross daily. God said to her every day, take up your cross. Every time you get a paycheck, there's a challenge. Every time you have to come and do your ministry assignment, there's a challenge. And when you get asked to do something bigger, there's a challenge. Take up your cross daily. But the cool thing is God comes in on the backside. I've heard some blessings even in just recent days. Uh, you know, people who expected uh, involvement in ministry to have a negative impact just because of the challenges of life, and, and God turned it around and turned it into something they could never believe. Every day she had to decide to use that last amount of flour and oil. Wow. How cool would that be to have... What would it be like to be her 
when she's old and gray and got the grandkids around going, hey, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what God did. I suspect that's part of the reason I heard those stories from my dad so many times about how the Lord provided. They're cool stories. And the cool thing is we can have a new one every day, every week. God doesn't just give us one invitation to ministry and one provision. He says, hey, come on, come on, come on. And and, and I'm going to enlarge your border a little bit here. Come on. And, 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 you know, how are we going to do this? I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And the Lord says, I'm going to come in and help you on the backside. When our kids were in grade school, we went to Disneyland, saved up our money. And uh, one of our children didn't like the thrill rides that much. And it's not the one that's present here. And... uh, you know, there's, there's five of us, and even, even back in those days, years ago, you couldn't leave your kids standing outside while you went on a ride at Disneyland. So we're thinking, oh, come on, come on, come on, go. It'll be okay. Come on, come on, come on. And we wanted to go on Space Mountain, you know, and it's kind of an indoor roller coastery thing. And yeah, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It'll be okay. And so she got on the ride, and it wasn't okay. And almost from the beginning, she was angry at me. And I think she's still angry at me. (laughs) She's the one who, when she was really little, uh, grandparents took them to the circus. Sue's folks took them to the circus. And afterward, you could have an elephant ride. And and her folks said, hey, you want to ride the elephant? And she said, no, it makes me nervous. Yeah, no doing, not getting on. I completely understand that ministry makes you nervous. I understand that sacrifice is scary. I do. Uh, I have been there and I am there regularly. And yet, doing the Lord's work is the most exciting thing, both in terms of being scary and in terms of being cool, being a blessing that I know of. And I just want to challenge you to get on the ride, to take the invitation, and to trust God for the outcome, which will be better than you can imagine. Heavenly Father, oh, The just shall live by faith. We know that, and we're happy to live by faith when it comes to eternity, but we're not so happy to live by faith when it comes to today and tomorrow and those invitations you give us to ministry. Oh, Father, help us. Help us just to lay down our fears and say, okay, I'm going to say yes to you. And then help us to see how you come in on the backside and bless us and meet our needs. Father, as we do that, enlarge our faith so that we might do more for you. And we might know the joy that you want us to live in. Do your work here today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.